This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. investigated nothing personal word of the day today is wednesday june 30th last day of june 2021 investigated is our word of the day it's a word that is an unpleasant word with an unpleasant topic trevor bauer the highest paid player in major league baseball trevor bauer the player who we talk about a lot of nothing personal very outspoken not just on sticky substances outspoken on labor outspoken against other players outspoken against management. Trevor Bauer, who is always about Trevor Bauer, always about his image, always about his brand. Well, his brand may be taking a hit today as he has been investigated by the Pasadena, California Police Department with the possibility of forwarding their information to the district attorney and having the district attorney bring charges against Trevor Bauer for sexual assault. The story is that Trevor Bauer met a woman, a woman who drove to him twice, and they had, according to Trevor Bauer's lawyer, rough but consensual sex. That was exactly what she wanted, what she asked for, and now it has gone the other way, where she is claiming that she was assaulted. There's several things to talk about with this issue. I will start by saying something very clearly. So let there be no misunderstanding. No means no. Period. There is never, not one instance where a man should assault a woman, sexually or otherwise. Never. Hard line ever. It is a crime. It's also wrong. However, proving that in a court of law, in a criminal case, is very, very difficult. And the reason it's difficult is that Trevor Bauer's lawyers, and it's not his agent who's talking. Remember that that girl, woman, Rachel Lupa is her name, Coca, who has very loud and outspoken, but is very quiet right now. He hired a lawyer, obviously, and the lawyer released a very lengthy statement talking about all the things that happened and that Trevor Bauer is not in any way criminally negligent, liable, civilly, nothing, saying it was just consensual. 
But the problem that you have when you are famous and when you are rich is that if you meet someone who you don't know and you decide to have sex with that person, and this is something we talk about with our players all the time, what is to stop that woman or that man? It doesn't, this is not about hetero or homosexuality. This is just about when you meet someone and you are rich and famous, what stops them from saying that you assaulted them? What stops them from saying that they didn't want to have sex? And then you are forced to defend yourself where the presumption is that you are guilty before you even get a minute. And I'm incredibly torn about this topic because I believe that everyone is innocent until they're proven guilty. I want women to be respected and treated properly. I've got daughters. When we speak to our players, we say, when you go into a hotel and you see women or men, again, women or men, it doesn't matter, hanging around the lobby who are just all that excited to go up to your room, just remember, you're not that good looking. It's because you are a professional athlete. It's because you're rich, famous, and you are a target. We always want our players to be smart. They aren't always. We always want them to not be delusional about their position in society, but it doesn't work always. And what do we do when we get told that one of our players is now being investigated for criminal sexual assault? The Dodgers did exactly what you're supposed to do because we are told what to do as members of Major League Baseball. You say nothing and you report immediately to Major League Baseball and their Department of Investigations. So when I had a player who would be in a compromising position, I would call up the league office. I would tell him what was going on. And then I would stand down. I would meet with the owner. I'd meet with the GM. I would say, here's what I was told. Here's the information I have. But from a PR standpoint, we say nothing. From a legal standpoint, we do nothing. Major League Baseball takes over. Major League Baseball has an entire department that that's what they do. They, they, they look into these issues. The Department of Investigations, among other things that they do, they are in charge of trying to work with local authorities, trying to figure out what happened. Baseball will often say that we're going to wait for the legal system to run its course, but that's not accurate. What they actually do is they're involved because they've got connections with all of the legal systems, with all of the local municipalities. They call up and say, hi, we're Major League Baseball. What do you have? What are we dealing with here? They then do their own investigation. Major League Baseball has no subpoena power, unlike the district attorney's office, meaning they cannot compel a woman or a man or a player. They cannot compel anyone to testify or to tell them what happened, but they can certainly ask and get information before the public does. And that doesn't make it dirty, what MLB does. It makes them smart because they've got to figure out if they've got a situation with a player who is going to be actually charged with a crime, they're going to have to deal with that either through a suspension which is what may happen here if Bauer ends up getting charged or with nothing because they're told, hey, these charges aren't going to stick. The DA is not actually going to press forward. Because you may recall the way this works 
is there the police department does an investigation. They then decide working with the district attorney's office whether there is enough evidence where the DA could initiate a criminal action against a party. But the DA only does that if they think they're going to win at a jury trial or get a plea. There's no way to know what's going on in the Trevor Bauer case because it appears that the lawyer has already laid out the facts from Trevor's standpoint. And consensuality is one of the big defenses. Obviously. It's a difficult situation for baseball. Right now, MLB is going to figure out what their next step is because when it's a player that is not this famous and not this well-paid, MLB looks at it totally differently. When it is one of your faces of baseball, regardless of whether you agree with him or not, baseball doesn't want this. They certainly want Trevor Bauer to be quiet with all the things he does and says, but they do not want him to be involved in anything like this. It seems to me that more and more we are watching players and executives and reading about things that they do, things that they've done involving domestic violence, involving sexual assault. We talked yesterday about Chauncey Billups hired by the Portland Trailblazers to be their coach. I gave you a wait to see, actually, that he would never coach a game. And that was before I watched the press conference yesterday. Did anyone else watch that? Did you see it? It was crazy. I tweeted about it at David P. Sampson. And someone gave me some blowback, which I need to talk about for one second, if you don't mind, Coca. I said that Chauncey Billups and the GM and the PR department, they were not prepared for that press conference because when a member of the media asked Billups about his 1997 issue where he was not formally charged, but he did settle a civil suit when there was a violent incident with a woman, but he was not formally charged, answered the question. There were a bunch of quotes, which I'm going to read to you. But then the follow up was another question about it. And the PR people said, no, we've we've answered that. We're not going to talk about that anymore. And I tweeted it saying, you can't do that. You cannot do that. You have to sit there and answer every question the entire time. Even if you have to say the same thing 20 times, you cannot shut down a media member. And this was not Billups. This was the PR person who handles the press conference, like the referee of the press conference, who chooses when to call on someone, who chooses what questions will be addressed and brought forward and chooses when to end it. Have you ever seen a PR person at a press conference? They say one more question, no more questions, three more questions. After that, you can interview one-on-one, but in this setting, two more questions. They are trying to control when looking at the person being interviewed, when looking at the person at the head of the table, in this case, Chauncey Billups, when that person needs to stop answering questions. But when it comes to something like this, where you know very well what the number one subject is going to be, when you know that there's been talk about Becky Hammond and the fact that she didn't get the job but could have gotten the job, and then Pau Gasol comes out with a statement saying she should get the job, and then a report comes out saying she's not good, she shouldn't get the job. Did you read that one? The Trailblazers let release that, I'm sure. They leaked that, that Becky Hammond wasn't a good enough candidate. So Chauncey Billups gets asked the question a second time, not allowed to answer it. It's unacceptable. The other thing that 
struck me is that they didn't properly prepare the GM with what to say. When you when you're going to hire Billups and you know before the press conference what's going to be brought up, you have to have it written out and you have to have an exact answer perfectly wordsmith that is done in conjunction with your lawyers, with your owner, with your PR people and approved and seen by Billups. So the GM said when asked about hiring Billups, we commissioned our own independent investigation into the incident in question in 1997. The findings of that investigation corroborated Chauncey's recollection of the events, that nothing non-consensual happened. We stand by Chauncey, everyone in the organization, and believe he's the right person to be our head coach and the right choice to be an ambassador in the Portland community everyone is accustomed to. He was then asked a follow-up question. Tell us more about the investigation. He declined. He was asked further, tell me about this investigation because I've done a lot of, me, David, I've done a lot of managerial interviews because we fired so many managers. And I can tell you right now that we do Google searches We may talk to previous employers, but likely not. And so we would have gotten stuck with the Mickey Calloway situation if we had hired Mickey Calloway. I'd love to lie to you and say, oh, we would have not hired him. We would have asked. We would have known. It's just what front offices are saying now. They have to, to pretend that they're doing these investigations. What exactly did the Blazers do? Did they get out the file? Did they call like they were doing a documentary and call the investigators? Did they speak to the lawyers? Did they speak to the woman? Give me a break. They didn't do any of that. So when pressed about the investigation, the GM said, I'm not going to answer that. That's proprietary. Can you imagine that? You are going to claim that you investigated and you found that Chauncey's recollection was accurate? Chauncey had to have a recollection about it. Do you think when you're involved in a civil suit where you are in danger of being charged for criminally sexually assaulting a woman and you have to settle with her out of court that you're going to forget it? Oh, that was 20 years ago. Who can remember that? Grant you, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I can sure as hell remember if I had a sexual assault in my past or if I had a settlement or if I paid money out. It happened with our president, right? Oh, I can't remember. Did I pay? Did I not pay? Did you pay? I think you're going to remember. So they tested Chauncey's recollection. And I'm not impugning Chauncey as a coach or as a man. I am impugning the trailblazers for how they've handled this situation. Proprietary investigation. What are they, curing cancer? I wish they would. Solving the Middle East peace process? Maybe that's that's proprietary, I guess. I guess if you you are splitting the atom or if you're going to come up with a, some kind of, competitor to Microsoft or Apple, you'd say, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. That's proprietary. Answering a question for your fans. And remember, press conferences are for your fans. It doesn't matter that the conduit to the information is some reporter or someone in the media. You are there talking to your fans. That's the number one thing we tell you when you are having a press conference or meeting the media. You are talking to the fans, to the people who buy our tickets, to the sponsors we have. It's proprietary. Yeah, I'm sure it is. You know what's proprietary? 
is how ridiculous the investigation was. That's proprietary. There's another thing that came out yesterday. Here's how lawsuits work. There's something called the statute of limitations. The statute of limitations is different depending on what you're talking about, but it's a time period. After X period of time, you can no longer do Y. When you are asserting negligence or that someone did wronged you, the statute of limitations can differ, but in the case we're about to talk about, it was two years, which means that two years after an event happened or two years after you found out that an event happened or two years after you should have known that an event happened, a bunch of different legalese I could get into, but two years. Well, we're coming up on two years. Tyler Skaggs, the Los Angeles Angels pitcher who overdosed and died literally of asphyxia. He choked on his own vomit. And he had oxycodone in his system. He had fentanyl in his system. He had grain alcohol in his system. And he died. Well, Tyler Skaggs' wife, widow, and Tyler Skaggs' parents are suing the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. They are suing two employees of the Los Angeles Angels, one named Tim Mead, one named Eric Kay. And this is a major deal. And Coke and I were discussing pre-show about how important this is. And we had a bit of a disagreement. And the reason why we had a disagreement is Coca said, hey, I don't think this is as big a deal as you are making it out to be, this news, not the death, not the culpability, not the negligence. Coca agreed that the seriousness of the opioid ep epidemic was not about that. It was about the story of the lawsuit. And I said, no, this lawsuit is being watched by every single company, not just in baseball, but in any business. If you own a company and you're not paying attention to this lawsuit, then you are missing something. Here is what is being alleged. And do you know who the lawyer is who, who uh, did the lawsuit for the Skaggs family? Rusty Harden. Does that name sound familiar, Coca? We didn't talk about this pre-show. I think my memory is right. I'm hoping Rusty Harden is the same Texas guy who is going, who is representing uh, Deshaun Watson. And I think he's the same one who represented Roger Clemens. If I'm right about that, this is the same lawyer who filed the lawsuit against the Angels on behalf of the Skaggs family. What the lawsuit alleges is that the Los Angeles Angels team knew or should have known that they had an employee who had been or was a drug addict, and that employee was granted access to the clubhouse, and with that access was able to deal drugs to players, causing players to become addicted and then dead. Then they're alleging that the boss of the PR director, who his name is Eric Kay, Eric Kay is the one who is no longer with the Angels. Eric Kay is the one who is about to go to a jury trial where he is being charged criminally with what happened in this case. Eric Kay had a boss named, named Tim Mead, who was the head of all PR. And Tim Mead is named in this lawsuit because he should have known or did know that he had an employee who had access to players who had drugs, was had a drug problem and was giving drugs to those players. 
Tim Mead had to respond to this lawsuit by saying, I, I spoke to Eric Kay all the time, but never about opioids. I had no knowledge that any of our players were on opioids. The Angels had no choice but to release a statement. This is about one of their players who died. They hired, do you remember, a former federal prosecutor? Do you remember when they did this back when it happened? And they hired someone to do an investigation just to see if anyone in their front office knew anything? And we told you at the time, or maybe we didn't. I think we did. Were we doing nothing personal at the time? Coke, I can't. I thought I'm having some recollection of covering this where that investigation was an absolute sham. But the Angels had to say in a statement that the investigation confirmed that the organization did not know that Tyler was using opioids, nor was anyone in management aware or informed of any employee providing opioids to any player. The lawsuits are entirely without merit, and the allegations are baseless and irresponsible. The Angels organization strongly disagrees with the claims made by the Skaggs family, and we will vigorously defend these lawsuits in court. This is when I would have a moral dilemma. While it's always business for me, when you've got a player who has died on your watch, you have to have a legalese statement like this if you are going to make a statement. Or do you? This is the dilemma. The angel statement they released is exactly page one of the we're being sued playbook. We're going to vigorously defend it. The claims are baseless. We'll see in court. The facts will come out and show that we did nothing wrong. That's what you say. That's what you have to say. But when it comes to this, my statement would have been, we were made aware of a lawsuit filed by the Skaggs family today. The memory of Tyler Skaggs, the tragedy of his death remains fresh in all of our minds. And we continue to help and work with the Skaggs family and all of our players to stop and help any sort of addiction. That's my statement because I'm acknowledging that he died. I'm acknowledging the tragedy, but I'm putting in there a little nugget that he was a drug addict because he was snorting opioids, by the way. It is terribly sad that he died. If you're snorting opioids, there is a risk that you are going to die. But in the statement, you don't have to say, we're gonna vigorously defend, we strongly disagree. Just say, we love the Skaggs family. We miss Tyler. We are so sorry. And we are working to make sure that addiction is handled because it is a terrible part of our society. How does this end? From a company standpoint, you better hope this ends with a very small settlement because you're not going to a jury trial with this. And that's what they want. The Skaggs family wants a jury trial. They want to get people in the angels on the stand with under oath. Did you know players were taking drugs, using drugs of any kind? If I were under oath, I'd have to say yes. Then all of a sudden you're working for a company and now the company is liable, is negligent, is civilly negligent. That's not a criminal case. This is civil. Is civilly negligent because the owner or the team president should have known everything that goes on. I've always told you that I consider myself responsible as a team president to know everything. 
but not from a negligence standpoint. I'm talking about that. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to face the music when there's sign stealing going on, when there is some sort of other calamity or problem going on in the company or on the team. I'm going to take responsibility because I'm the president. We've talked about it with Mark Cuban and his organization. We talked about it with Jeff Lunau and his organization in Houston. I didn't know anything. This is outrageous. I'm going to change everything. I would stand up and say, yeah, I didn't know it, but I should have. Either I'll resign or I'll take the heat. I'm going to leave you with this thought on the Tyler Skaggs situation. The opioid crisis is real. I think we understand that. I think we understand what players are sometimes forced to do to get through pain because they need to perform and want to perform. And we are asking them as a sport to perform and do things that are not natural, throwing a ball 97, playing 162 games in 185 days. We can't be surprised when players try to do things to shorten their injuries or to make themselves feel no pain. I'm talking about steroids or opioids. And if we really cared, we would change the schedule. If we really felt that players were in jeopardy, or if we really cared that the players were in jeopardy, we would change the schedule. The way baseball is and the way players are today, it's not the days of Babe Ruth smoking heaters, right? And drinking beer during a game, or even from the 70s where you saw, I just saw a picture of Keith Hernandez smoking a cigarette on the bench, or Jim Leland, the manager of the Marlins, when he was smoking on the bench. It was very, very common. Those days are past. Not that players don't smoke, some do. I'm talking about what players need to do in order to get their bodies ready to play every day. It's far different than what they had to do back in the day. It's far, far different. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to review a two-season series that I watched, and then we are going to talk a little bit more about the Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David Sampson. Thank you for making it through that gauntlet. You did it. I appreciate it very much, obviously. Thank you for downloading as we get to the end of June, halfway through 2021. Nothing Personal continues to break records and set records for listenership and downloads and views and unique views and everything else. Please keep telling your friends about it, but also go to the YouTube channel. That is lagging behind. Uh, I don't know when we're going to start doing some live stuff on YouTube, Coca. They're doing that on Levitard. Why aren't we doing that? I'd like to go live with you once, Coca. 
It's nothing personal with David Sampson is the YouTube channel. Check it out. Just hit subscribe. And uh, let's keep going. So as part of what we do, and I love this part, we get to watch movies every day, TV shows. I watched a two-season show, and it was 16 episodes called Dirty John. Dirty John is true stories about people who season one is with Eric Bana and Connie Britton. And Eric Bana is an Australian actor, phenomenal actor. He was in Munich, I believe, Coca. Great actor. He was also in uh, uh, the movie with, oh, come on, you can do it, with Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen, uh, Funny People. I believe he was Leslie Mann's husband in Funny People who they went to visit when Adam Sandler was sick in Funny People. There is a definite chance I have that wrong, but it just came into my head. Anyway, Eric Bana and Connie Britton. Eric Bana plays a man who pretty much seduces himself into relationships and ends up stealing money and being violent and ends up dead. Season one, decent, but I want to talk about season two. Season two is with Amanda Peet and Christian Slater. Amanda Peet plays a woman, a real woman named Betty Broderick. Betty Broderick ends up, she is a woman who marries a lawyer, played by Christian Slater. She kills Christian Slater, gets charged with the killing, and the entire eight-episode arc of season two of Dirty John is about how this happened, what drove her to this, and whether or not she was framed, whether or not she actually did it, whether or not she meant to do it, whether or not she wanted to do it, and what happened to her after in the trial, etc. I thoroughly enjoyed this bit of eye candy. Amanda Pete plays her and does a great job. Christian Slater is an interesting choice to play the husband, but does well. But what fascinated me is how this woman went from ostensibly a suburban housewife, mother, and became a cold-blooded killer. And it occurred to me that you really can't judge a book by its cover, ever. So don't. Dirty John. Both seasons are worth it. Season two is better than season one. Okay, I want to get into the nothing personal pick of the day for a minute because the Phillies beat the Marlins 4-3, so we're now 88-66. and We lost that. And I was upset that we lost it because... We took it for the right reason. Trevor Rogers is going to win rookie of the year. He had a good start. The Phillies got a win that surprised me. Their bullpen did not blow it. We took the loss. I'm moving on. I want to stick with baseball today, and I want to talk about Shohei Otani, and I want to talk about the Yankees. Shohei Otani is now leading Major League Baseball with 28 home runs. He hit two more yesterday. Shohei Otani has an ERA under three. He is proving me wrong day in and day out by being a two-way player, an all-star, really both ways, though he doesn't have the bulk as a pitcher, but certainly as a hitter, he does. He's going to be in the home run derby. He has fun. He's a perfect face of baseball. I am absolutely shocked at what he is able to do. I've never seen it before. This is half a year. Could it go on for three, four, five years and you have a full Hall of Fame career as both a pitcher and a hitter? I stand by my original view. That is extraordinarily unlikely. If I'm the Angels, I'm still choosing 
that he becomes either a hitter or a pitcher, but not both. I'm looking at the fact that the Angels are below 500 out of the playoffs, even with their win over the uh, their they lost to the Yankees yesterday with Otani's two home runs. Their pitching staff is a mess. Their signings have been suspect. Trout is on the 60-day DL, not going to come back until after the All-Star break. It is unlikely the Angels will make the playoffs again this season. So what's it all for? Is it all for the fun and excitement of drawing crowds to watch Otani? That, to me, is a tangential benefit. The goal is to win and play in October. And whatever the Angels are doing, they're not doing it right. So the definition of insanity is when you do the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Hey, I did it. I know it. When you are eight games back of the second wild card spot, you've got to change what you're doing. The Yankees are not in much better shape. The Angels are playing the Yankees tonight. Otani's pitching, by the way. I think let's make that the pick. Did I, did I tell you I was going to do that, Coca? The Angels are going to beat the Yankees today. Otani's pitching. Otani's going to hit too. When Otani pitches and hits, it actually is fun to watch. Angels over the Yankees, even though the Yankees had one good game of offense last night, scored 11 runs. On the day that their GM said that we suck, that was his quote, that gets us right into a So You Want to Talk to Samson Coca. You know what I want? Talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That's a segment that we do when you get on Twitter, David P. Samson, and you ask a question to me, either on Twitter or in the DMs. My DMs are public. I can't get to all of them. I try to respond to as many people as I can. But if you're one of the people I've not responded to, I promise you, I'm sorry. I try to read 95% of the DMs I get. I try to answer 50% of the DMs I get. But those numbers have been going down as the number of people is growing inside my DMs, but I don't want to make them private because I want you to know that the odds are I'm going to see it. Here's the question. And this was a good one. David, Goliath fan of the podcast. Get that? I like that. That's a good start if you want your question read. My question for Samson is if you were in Brian Cashman's shoes, what could you do or say to your players to snap them out of the funk? As a former president, what tactics have you resorted to to inspire your team to play better. Can you, or is it just a waiting game? Love ya. I like that. Thank you. All right, I'm going to answer that question right now. Let's start with, if I were in Brian Cashman's shoes, what do you say to your players to snap them out of a funk? I've addressed this on a few mailbags and in a few episodes, and we've talked about things that we do to try to release the pressure inside a clubhouse. The Yankees are under tremendous pressure not just from the Steinbrenner family, but from the weight of lofty expectations that they have year in and year out because they're the Yankees. By the fact that the teams before them since 2009 have not won, have not been in the World Series. This new group of players, and it doesn't matter, this is important to note, every year the team is different. Every year. No matter if you keep 24 of the same guys, every year the team is different, not just in the makeup of the team, but in the chemistry of the team, in the clubhouse sort of environment of the team, the on-field performance of the team, every single year is different. And every team deserves to be looked at as its own unique team. 
The 2021 Yankees are not the 2020 Yankees. They're not the 2016 Yankees. They're not the 2009 Yankees that won the World Series. When you are in charge of motivating a group of people to do something that you can't actually control, think about it. When you motivate your sales force, if you work in a company where there's sales, you're trying to motivate them with money, with higher commissions or with contests, try to motivate them with gift cards or prizes or motivate them by saying you can keep your job if you sell more, motivating them by telling them we're going to give you more tools to succeed. We're going to give you better products. We're going to teach you more about the products. We're going to unveil new products so then you can sell those. We're going to try everything we can, but you have to actually do the selling. In baseball, what do you do? You say to a player, hey, come on, can you try not to strike out so much? Please, can you try not to walk so many guys? Can you try not to give up so many hits? Can you please not make any more errors? When there's a man on third with under two outs, can you just for the love of God, get a fly ball in the air? Do you think that's what we say to our players? That's what we say to ourselves when we're watching a game. But to the players, you just have a team meeting, either as a group or individually, and you say, hey, I think we're better than this. We put this team together and we have faith in you. We have faith in our coaches. We have faith in our manager. But hell, I could be wrong. You guys may suck. That's on me. And it's on you, though. Either you're going to get better or not. There's not a damn thing I can do about it. I can do a managerial change and fire Boone. Is that going to make you hit better? I can fire the hitting coach. We love him, though. Is that going to make you feel better? I could fire myself. I will walk out of this room and no longer be your team president if you can guarantee me that you're going to go on and be the uh, winner of the World Series or even get to the World Series. It's all horse hockey. You don't say any of those things because none of that matters. When you see in-season firings, it's not because you think it's going to make your team play better. It's because you have nothing else you can do because you have no control and you feel like you want control, so you make up something. Yeah, we're going to fire the manager. We did that a thousand times. It worked once. Or you trade away a player, you bring in a different player, you release a player, send a player to the minor leagues, you try different things, but none of it matters. You're not going to make players not be injured or make them play better. So when you ask me what I say to the players to get out of a funk, I look at them in the food room and say, hey, pass the hot sauce. Hey, this food sucks, doesn't it? Man, we suck. Is this going to get better? That's how I play it. Self-deprecating, inquisitively, saying, I appreciate and see what you're seeing. Do you realize how badly we're playing? Man, what, what, what should I do? Give them a little power. Give them a suggestion. Hey, we could use some pitching. That's what the position players always say. The pitchers always tell me, hey, we need some runs scored. We got to score runs. The Yankees right now have scored fewer runs than the Orioles. If I sit in that clubhouse and I'm Brian Cashman, I say to Garrett Cole, hey, what do you think we should do? Well, other than getting spider tack back and foreign substances able to be used, what else should we do? Hey, man, you got to get better hitters. These guys suck. I can't throw a shutout every game and they don't score for us. Hey, but they're good enough to. That's what I would say back to the pitching staff. Give it a minute. They're good. I promise. Judge and Stan and Sanchez and Torres and Anduhar, it's going to be good. LeMay is going to be fine. None of that works. <laughs> What are the Yankees going to do? Cashman's frustrated. Can you see in his, in his comments? He said, uh, we suck right now. 
before they won their game yesterday. And then he was very clear that this is not an Aaron Boone problem because that's what you say, especially when your owner's not going to let you fire a manager in season. It's not a coaching staff problem. That's what Cashman said, because you're not going to fire a coaching staff right now because it's not going to do anything. He then said, it's easy for my chair to say, let me throw something overboard to just satisfy the masses. It's harder to actually stick with what you've got because you believe in it, he said. This is Cashman talking. These people care. They work their asses off. They're really good at what they do. We're not getting the results, and I'm the head of baseball operations. That's more on me than them. Spoken like a guy in the last year of his contract. Why would Cashman choose this moment, would you think, to respond? Because he has no choice. All right. Uh, I got to do a quick follow-up here on Hector Santiago, if you don't mind. Uh, He's the pitcher for the Seattle Mariners who got his glove taken away for foreign substances who claimed it was rosin. A show, I think it was this week, Coca. I don't remember when. I think it was this week, was it? Where we said that it doesn't matter. He's going to get suspended. Well, he was. And I wanted to follow up on that and tell you that he was suspended 10 games, but there's a lot of misunderstanding going on around the game and with people in the media and with fans. So let me be clear. When that glove was sent to New York for further study, that glove was not sent to New York for the purpose of discovering whether or not there was rosin in the glove and whether or not Santiago should be suspended. The rule as set out in the memo given to the teams and the players was extraordinarily clear. At the umpire's sole discretion, if you are found to have any foreign substance in your glove, any, you will be ejected from the game and suspended for 10 days with pay. That's the rule. It wasn't, we're going to study and we'll evaluate if the umpire's right or wrong. The umpire is the judge, the jury, the arbiter. It's done. When the umpire makes the decision to eject you because they see, feel, or witness a foreign substance, game over, 10 games. Why did baseball do this? Because that's how badly they want to legislate foreign substances out of the game. But they went too far, obviously, because Santiago said it was just rosin. Well, that's against the rules. You can't have rosin, even though you need rosin. Baseball's got to change it to allow rosin, but then you can't have the hard, fast rule that the umpire at his sole discretion can say, you're rejected, I see a substance. Because if rosin's allowed, then the player just says, hey, man, that's rosin. And the umpire says, that doesn't look like rosin. It doesn't smell like rosin. It doesn't feel like rosin. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. That's just rosin. How come there's white creamy stuff there? Is that sunscreen? Nah, that's not sunscreen. Why, why, why is your hand stuck to the ball like your Spider-Man? Oh, I don't know. That's just rosin. It's for grip, for command. Well, all right. Can you imagine if that were going on in baseball? that you had the umpires and the players negotiating what the foreign substance was. That is why what I have called for, called for is for foreign substances to be allowed, but universally chosen and agreed upon by the players and the, their union and the owners and the commissioner and the umpires. So it is very clear what substance is allowed. And if it's not that exact substance, you're out. I'm all in on that theory. We can come up with a substance that is put in the clubhouse that we watch pitchers apply to anywhere they want on their body. You want to put it in your hair. You want to put it in your jersey. You want to put it under your belt, on your neck, on your fingers, on your toes, on your nose. Do whatever you want with it. 
This is the specially sponsored Major League Baseball foreign substance. Anything else, and we know what it looks like, anything else, you're gone. Of course, he appealed. Why did he appeal? I found that very strange. I have not been able to discern an understanding why Hector Santiago appealed his suspension because guess what? It's not going to win. His suspension is real and it's going to happen. His appeal will be denied. That's a wait to see, Coca. I think we make that as a wait to see that his appeal will be denied. You're going to accuse me of making that an easy wait to see. But often suspensions are taken from two games to one game or five games to four games or 10 games to seven games. But when it comes to foreign substances, MLB is going to say, ooh, we're going to keep that at 10. Okay. Do you know what today is? There's some problem that we have with uh, nothing personal and the number of episodes. I count the number of episodes that we do that are these type of episodes with words of the day and wait to see. And so you want to talk to Samson and a review. We do other Samson sit downs from time to time. We do mailbag episodes from time to time. I count those as extra. So for me and Coca, actually, I've never even asked Coca about this. For me, this is episode 400 right now, today. You're listening to it. I want to take this opportunity to thank you very much for what you've done for me and for Coca and by showing CBS that they were smart to let us do this show, that it's totally off-brand of CBS, which is about football and fantasy and gambling, totally off-brand to let someone put his own name on a podcast. The rest of the podcast for CBS are not based on a person. They're based on a concept fantasy, college football, whatever the case may be. And CBS let us, lets us do this every day. It didn't start off that way. 400 episodes ago, we did two dress rehearsals and they were disasters. The first five episodes, CBS was calling every day saying, we're pulling you off. We're done. You can't talk about that. You can't talk about this. And I said, then we're, then we're done then. If we're going to do nothing personal, we're going to have a platform where we can do whatever we want and talk about any subject we want. And it's because of you that we can do it. So I just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for these 400 episodes. And I want to tell you about a little surprise we have in store for the 500th episode. And I mentioned this to you before, but now it's official. I'm making it a wait to see. And you know that I follow up on wait to sees. Episode 500 is a Samson sit down with Matthew Coca. Those of you who believe that Coca doesn't exist, he does. Those of you who think I can do this without Coca, I can't. Those of you who think Coca can do this without me, he can't. We are the perfect yin and yang. We work together so well on the field, having nothing to do with any friendship relationship off the field, which is not relevant, whether we're friends or not, whether we socialize or not. What matters is that he is so good at what he does and he makes me good at what I do, which makes it interesting for you to listen. And I want you to hear from Coca at episode 500 because we've got another 100 episodes in front of us because we do this every day, every day. Although I think I'm going to take a vacation soon, Coca. Just remember one thing, whether we go 45 minutes, 44 minutes, 46 minutes, 47 minutes, it's always the same. It's just business. Thanks, everyone. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.